The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Uh, well, we are continuing in a series that we're, we've been in for a few weeks now called The Story. And what we're doing in the story is we're going through the entire narrative of Scripture over the course of a year. And so in the spring, uh, we're covering the entire Old Testament. We're going to take a breather in the summer. And then in the fall, we're going to get into the New Testament and, and have that lead us through to the next year. And so we're just plowing along. And if, if uh, you want to join us in that journey, there's more than just this handsome guy up front. Uh, we, have the, we have books in the back called The Story, which is just the Bible in narrative form. They're five bucks, and you can read along with us. We're doing a chapter a week. They're, they're great. And then you can also sign up to be in a small group uh, in which you'll discuss the story throughout the week and, and see how God's word is, is ringing true to your life and how you fit in to God's story. So I want to encourage you to do that. And uh, just a, a refresher, though, for those of you, we, we started this, this series a couple weeks ago, and we, we started with creation, the beginning of life as we know it. And what we saw is that, that God creates everything, and he says that it's good, all right? He says that it's good, but then humanity rebels against God, falls into sin, and so death and sin and brokenness and all the, the things that are a mess in our world enter into the picture, but God sets forth a plan right off the bat to redeem and restore his good creation, and last week we looked at how part of that plan was for him to build a nation of people. And that in this nation of people, the entire world would be blessed. And he starts this nation by calling one man. He calls Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I'm going to make a people out of you. And, and those people are going to be a blessing to the whole world. Everybody's going to know who I am because of these people. And if you've been reading along in the story, or if you just know the narrative of Scripture, this nation starts to grow. And so Abraham and his wife Sarah have a son named Isaac. And then Isaac and his wife Rebecca have two boys, uh, Jacob and Esau. And through sort of a, a wonky story, uh, Jacob ends up becoming the, the heir of, of Isaac's everything that he has. And then Jacob and his wives, he's got a few, uh, end up having 12 sons. 12 sons. And, and I want to just do an aside here real quick because we're, we're catching up to our, where we're at today. Um, I said Jacob and his wives, and I just want to be clear because sometimes people are like, what is going on there, right? Uh, the Bible does not condone polygamy, right? Like, like it's not okay. Uh, God's really clear in Genesis 2, like it's one man, one woman, one lifetime. That's, that's marriage. But given the culture of the day, what you'll see as you read through the book of Genesis is that the patriarchs, the folks that, that are founders of the faith, the fathers of the faith, uh, given the culture they were in, practice polygamy, but we see it's never a good thing. It's never God saying, hey, that's the way to do it. No, it always ends in disaster. It always ends up a mess. And we actually see this with Jacob and his wives, that he's got a, a favorite wife, Rachel, and he has favorite sons. Any of the ones that he had with her are his favorite. And his number one son that he loves the most is his boy, Joseph. Joseph. And, and so that's who we're going to look at today is this, this guy, Joseph, and, and a little bit of his story. Um, but to, to keep us all up to speed, uh, Joseph is, is Jacob's favorite son, and so Jacob gives Joseph a gift. He gives him an amazing Technicolor dream coat, and a chorus starts singing, go, 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 Joe. Donny Osmond starts doing cartwheels, and it's, it's just wild. Uh, no, he, Jacob does give his son, uh, by the way, for those of you non-musical theater fans, that was a reference to a musical, okay. Okay. Uh, You'll get there. You'll get there. Um, so, so Jacob gives Joseph a coat of many colors because he's his favorite boy. And that happens. And then Joseph starts having dreams. 
And Joseph has these dreams where, where he's like this central figure and his entire family starts bowing down to him. That's what goes on in his dreams. Now, Joseph has 11 brothers, okay? Most of them are older. Now, if I'm Joseph and I've got 11 brothers and they all know that I'm the favorite already, the last thing I'm gonna do is tell them this dream where they all bow down to me, right? Like, that's the stupidest thing. Like, I have one brother, and if I beat him in basketball, he still beats me up. You know, like, it's poor decision. Joseph hasn't learned that lesson. And so he tells his brothers about this dream. And, of course, they get ticked off. And they throw him in a hole and sell him to slave traders. So that's what happens. And then we get to our text for today. These slave traders were, were Ishmaelites. And you heard in our text that these slave traders, they take him to Egypt. And they sell him to this guy, Potiphar. And Potiphar is a high-ranking officer in Pharaoh's army. And, and Egypt is, of course, the military and political and economic superpower of its day. And so, Fer, or so Joseph's now in the house of Potiphar, a high-ranking official of the most powerful military in the world. And what we see in our text today is that Joseph rises to a position of leadership, but as he does that, he's tempted. And he's tempted to use his, his influence, his power, his leadership for his own gain instead of in service to others. But what Joseph shows us is that the love of God wins the day. He's actually able to, to use his leadership and his influence in service to others instead of in service for himself. And see, this is huge for us to get as, as a church because part of our vision as a church is to multiply leaders. That we believe in, in multiplying leaders. And the reality is everyone here is in a leadership position. In one way or another, you are or you're going to be in one soon. And when you're in a leadership position, the temptation to abuse power is always lurking right around the corner. When you're in a leadership position, the temptation to abuse power is always right around the corner. Uh, here's what I mean. As I was prepping for this sermon, so this, this happened like two days ago, and, uh, and I, I'm writing, and there's this part, as I, I'm writing, I'm thinking like, oh man, I, I, I'm going to use Titus's Bible. We'll get to that later. Uh, my little son, he's two years old. Uh, he's got this Jesus Storybook Bible, and there's this great line in there that I want to use. And, and so I went and got his Bible, but I thought, you know, it'll be good to teach him to share. And so I gave him his Bible, and I said, hey, Titus, uh, can, can Daddy borrow, borrow your Bible? You know, I want to use your Bible. And, uh, and he, like, you saw it in his face, like he got this, like, sudden sense of, like, I have the power, you know? And he just, and he goes, he goes, no. And he, like, took off running, and he wouldn't share his Bible with me. Uh, you know, he eventually gave in, and, and um, we arm wrestled. And um, anyway, so I got the Bible. But, but so what we see in the story of Joseph is, is, is that leadership, it inherently comes with this temptation to abuse power. But Joseph shows us that it's actually meant to be used in service of others and not ourselves. So let's dig into it. Look with me at verses 2 through 5. It says this, The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. So we see in this text that as Joseph serves in Potiphar's house, that through God's blessing, 
Joseph gains influence. He rises as a leader. He's now in charge of the entire house of a high-ranking official of the most powerful military in the entire world. Right? So, so he's, he's the Mr. Carson to Potiphar's Lord Grantham, if you will. All right? No one, Downton Abbey? Thank you. All right. All right. I guess we need more PBS fans here. Um, now, none of us, I'm sure, will have the same level of influence that, that Joseph had will, will rise to that, that same level of power. But in one way or another, we're leaders. And some of you say, Gabe, you've been saying that, 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 we're, that we're all leaders. I don't agree. And Well, you're wrong, okay? Because to be a leader is to have influence. That's all it is. That's simply what it means. To be a leader is to have influence on someone. So I'm part of a small group that's led by uh, Brooke and Josh Hunger. And uh, our small group is, is pretty hilarious because it's, this is our breakdown, all right? So we got one family, the Deckneyos, they have a, a child in elementary school and a child in junior high. And then there's four other couples that are all in their late 20s, early 30s, and we all have little boys, the age range for these little boys, 18 months to two years old. That's it, right? So it's just like toddler craziness. And so our, our small group time is just chaos, right? We're just like bobbing and weaving, avoiding toys that are flying and kids throwing tantrum. We're just kind of like yelling about the Bible to one another uh, as, as kids break down around us. Uh, and so amidst the chaos of our group this past Friday, uh, we were talking and we asked the question, we said, hey, who's been the most influential person in, in your walk with God? Who's been like the biggest role model for you in faith? And so we got like, 10 adults there, went around the room and asked. Everyone had the same answer, more or less. You know who it was? It was mom or dad or both. It was parents. It was parents. Parents have the greatest influence on their children's faith. That's true anecdotally, and that's true just scientifically. There's study after study after study that the greatest trend is that children emulate the faith of their parents just happens. And so if you're a parent, you're a leader. You have influence. If you're not a parent, you still have influence somewhere. There's somebody somewhere that looks up to you and says, oh, all right, all right. You have influence somewhere, whether it's in your workplace, organizations you're a part of, social groups you're in, you have influence. And so God has placed each of us, each of you, as leaders somewhere. And what we see in our text is that temptation to use that seed of power, to use that influence for our own purposes, is always lurking around the corner. Look with me at our next few verses. It says this, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is no greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. All right, so pretty simple. Potiphar's wife wants Joseph to sleep with her, and he says, no, not going to happen. And his reasons why, though, are actually incredibly critical for us to pick up. See, what Joseph illustrates for us here is the incredible havoc that sin can wreak in our lives when we give in to temptation. 
He does this in two ways. First of all, he says no to sleeping with Potiphar's wife because he doesn't want to wrong Potiphar. If you can pull up verse 8, Katie. Uh, Verse 8, it shows us. He says, hey, listen, Potiphar's taking care of me. Like, my master, I have no concern about anything in his house. He's put everything he has in my charge. I'm doing all right. I couldn't break that trust. And so the first place Joseph starts is he says, listen, I, I can't give in to this temptation because I'm going I'm to hurt Potiphar. I'm going to break that trust. It's going to throw this whole house into chaos. Even if Potiphar never finds out, Joseph knows that to give in to temptation will wreak havoc for other people. And see, that's what an abuse of power always does. That's what sin always does. I think about this like just recently. Uh, there's a, a fairly influential pastor uh, in the American church, major figure in the American church, uh, pastor of a mega church in Seattle. And, and he had wrestled with, with anger and pride and vengeance for a long time. And his elders actually asked him, they said, hey, uh, why don't you just take a breather for a little bit, buddy, and just, just step down for a little bit. And in the midst of that, he ended up resigning. And then as a result of his resignation, it ultimately left, left to, led to the complete disbandment of his entire church. Now, this is thousands of people across the country that were part of this church. Thousands of people that are hurt and confused and don't have church home because one guy in power fell into sin. Abuse of power always wreaks havoc in people's lives, but it doesn't even have to be on that grand of a scale. It doesn't have to be on that grand of a scale. When, when we abuse power and sin, people get hurt, right? There are some of you here today and like, you know this. You know this. There's, there's weight and anxiety and burden and stress and insecurities that you've carried with you for years and years and years because somebody who had power in your life spoke harshly to you didn't treat you as a person. And so no matter what you do, day after day, people can say kind things to you. They can say whatever this person said isn't true. You still find yourself drawn back to that point. No matter what. Because a person in power abused it. Spoke ill to you. They disregarded you as a person. See, When you're in a position of influence and you abuse it for self-serving purposes, it has a ripple effect that harms people for a long time. And like, that's just true, right? I mean, we see that. I don't have to elaborate it that much more. It's just true. Like, even if if you don't believe in God, even if you're not a Christian, you'd agree with that. It's just true. But see, Joseph actually shows us that he doesn't want to sleep with Potiphar's wife is actually even a deeper reason behind it. He says he doesn't want to sin against God. Can you pull up verse 9 there for me, Katie? He says, how could I do this wickedness and sin against God? And so Joseph realizes here that to give in to this temptation is not simply to wrong Potiphar, but it's to wrong God. And someone may say, oh, come on, Christians dragging God into everything. Like, like isn't it enough just to say that, that he wronged a, a fellow human being? Like, isn't that enough? Like, why, why do you got to bring God into it? Here's why. God is the reason Joseph is in the position he's in. God is the reason that Joseph has the influence he does. He, Joseph knows that God put him where he did for a purpose. And so if, jo- if Joseph is to give into this temptation, then he's pushing God's plan to the side and doing his own thing. And so to abuse his power is not simply to sin against the people that he's directly wronging, but to abuse his power is to actually sin against God. First and foremost, it's a sin against God. 
And see, the same is true for us. Like, if you use your position in life, the influence God has given you, whatever that looks like for you, if you use that for your own selfish gain, instead of in service to others, you're sinning against God. And the results of doing that are actually even worse than how it hurts other people. And here's why. God has a bigger picture in mind than you do. God has a better plan than you do. And when you ignore his plan, when you ignore his picture, man, like you're just missing out huge. Like look at the story of Joseph. Let's just, let's say for example that Joseph does give in, right? And, and he sleeps with Potiphar's wife. What happens next? Well, I don't know. But I can tell you what doesn't happen. The rest of his story. And I don't know if you all know the rest of his story, but here's what happens. He gets thrown into prison, but then he interprets Pharaoh's dreams. And because of that, he actually rises to power, becomes the second most powerful man in the world. And he uses that influence to store up grain for a famine that, that comes across the Middle East for seven years. And he saves thousands of lives because he rose to that, that position of influence. Saves thousands of lives. And then he even saves his family's lives and reconciles with them. Now, could God have used someone else to save all those lives? Sure. But man, what would Joseph have missed out on? Right? Like, what's the best case scenario for him if he does give in to temptation here? He ends up being a well-respected slave who's secretly shacking up with his master's wife. Like, that might last for a couple years on HBO, but that is about it, you know? Like, it is not that good of a story. But instead, God uses him to save the lives of thousands and be reconciled to his family. See, so often when temptation rears its head in our lives, when we find ourselves drawn to abuse the power we've been given, drawn to not live up to the influence that God's placed in our life, we want to do it because it seems like things will work better for us in the short term. It's instant gratification. Hey, if I give in to this, this is the smart move. It's going to be most comfortable for me. It's going to be the best way to go. That's how temptation works. It seems like the good idea because it's right in front of your face. Like I think about it like this. For example, say there's a young man who's stressed out and tired and lonely. Well, what's a quick fix for that? Pop open the laptop, a couple clicks on the internet, and he's got a cornucopia of ladies to choose from at his disposal. Never mind that those images are rewiring his brain or that they're devastating the relationships he's in now or will be in the future. Or say there's a young lady who's feeling left out of her, her social circle. What's a quick way to fix that? Talk bad about that girl. Spread that rumor. Keep that gossip mill going. Be the person who's in the know. Never mind that the person you spoke harshly of is made in the image of God. Or say there's a dad who's just sick of the grind of work and kids and family and is just exhausted and tired. And so he just decides to slowly pull away. He's not running off, but he's just slinking away from his responsibilities to be a loving husband, to be a caring father, to spiritually lead his family. It's too hard. It's a lot easier to just be sort of apathetic and passive. 
Or say there's a mom who's, who's insecure about where she's at in life. And so she just stares down her nose at anyone who's not parenting the way she does. Feels good for the moment. Or say God's placed someone in your life that you're called to share the gospel with. You say, whoa, that would make things really awkward. I'd be kind of uncomfortable doing that. So instead of risking that, you wuss out. Never mind the eternal consequences. See, the list could go on and on. Temptation seems so good in the short term. It makes sense in the short term. It's not how it works. If we were instead to resist temptation, if we look at the story of Joseph, if we said, you know what, Pastor Gabe, let's resist temptation, what happens then? If we look at the story, guess what we see? You resist temptation, things get a lot worse, right? They get a lot worse. Like he does the right thing. Joseph does the right thing. He resists temptation. He does what he's supposed to do. He doesn't abuse his power. And he gets accused of a crime he didn't commit and thrown into prison for years. It's bad news, man. And see, this can happen, right? To resist temptation comes with consequences. It just does. Sometimes you can lose your job for doing what's right in the business world. Sometimes you can lose friends for doing what's right. Sometimes you can be laughed at by people. You can be laughed at by the culture at large. This happens. Resisting temptation doesn't guarantee something great's going to happen for you. I think about it like this. Uh, tomorrow we celebrate the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who's a saint who went before us and used his influence, used his leadership to take on a massive injustice in our country. And see, he resisted the temptation to be complacent and was ultimately killed because of that. And not about you, but that makes me think, what drives that? Like, why would he do that? It's not pragmatism. It's not self-advancement. Things didn't work out better for him. What drives someone to resist temptation and honor God to such a degree that they end up dead or in prison? What drives someone to do that? One word, kesed, kesed. Look with me at verse 21 in our text. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. That word steadfast love in Hebrew is the word kesed. Really the proper way to say it, you've got to clear chesed, but who's got time for that? All right. Uh, and, and, and scholars throughout the centuries have had such a hard time translating this word. Like we, just, like, we don't have an English equivalent for it because it's, yeah, it's steadfast love, but it's also sometimes translated as mercy or, or kindness or loving kindness. And we, just, we don't quite know how to get the full semantic range of this word. Uh, I actually read, a, read an article that was just about this word this week. So you think your job's boring. And, um, and let, me just, let me just share a quote with you. It says this. This is Alan Richardson. He's a, a biblical scholar. He says, the word is used only in cases where there is some recognized tie between the parties concerned. It is not used indiscriminately of kindness in general, haphazard kindly deeds. The theological importance of the word kesed 
is that it stands more than any other word for the attitude which both parties to a covenant ought to maintain towards each other. Sir George Adam Smith suggested the rendering leal love. Leal means loyalty. The merit of this translation is that it combines the twin ideas of love and loyalty, both of which are essential. On the other hand, it does not sufficiently convey the idea of the steadfastness and persistence of God's sure love for his covenant people. I love this quote. I love it because you see it. Like this is a guy who has dedicated his entire life to the Hebrew language, to translating that in English. And you see like the, the conflict he's in. He's like, well, it sort of means this, but it sort of means this. And I just can't quite put it into words. I don't quite know how to talk about God's kesed love for his people. He can't figure it out. I figured it out. Figured it out. It's in my son Titus's Jesus Storybook Bible. The author, she does kind of her own interpretation of this word, and I think she's right on the money. She says, God's kesed love is this. It's God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. I love that. Never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. See, that's what drove Joseph. He could sit in prison for years. Why? Chesed. That's what drove MLK. He could sit in prison. He could be killed. Why? Because he knew that God's chesed for him would outlast all the hate that this world could throw at him. Brothers and sisters, like, you can resist temptation. Why? Why can you resist temptation? Why can you use your influence in service to others? Because of God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love for you. And see, and that sounds nice, and it's so easy for us to sentimentalize that and think like, oh, there's God just floating around giving us hugs. But God, he, he delivers, man. Like, he shows up. He puts concreteness. Like, God's love for you ultimately led him to send Jesus to the cross for you. That Jesus, the son of the living God, fully divine, fully divine, opted to use his power opted to use his influence, not to lord it over us, but instead to serve us, to submit to the will of his Father and go to the cross so that you could be embraced in God's kesed forever. He resisted temptation when it was most difficult. Jesus followed God's call when it was hardest, when it offered him no benefits, when it meant a torturous death at the hand of his enemies, Jesus said yes. And he did it so you could be in God's kesed love forever. Like, do you get the gravity of that? Like, like that is the gospel. And see, to the degree that that's a reality for you, to the degree that that's at the center of your being... It's to that degree that you resist temptation. It's to that degree that you use your influence in service of other people. So a few months ago, I was talking with some dudes I play soccer with, and um, they asked me the question that I hate being asked. I said, what do you do for a living? Uh, and I hate being asked this because whenever I say I'm a pastor, one of two things happens. Either people's walls go up, and they're like, I'm going to go do anything else, and, um, or, or their walls come down in really weird ways, you know, like, 
get rid of the cigarette, sorry I said that, you know, I'm, okay, weirdo, like, you know, that's what happens. Uh, this was the second option. Uh, so, so I said, I'm a pastor, and these guys, they, they go, I'm, I'm censoring a little bit here, and, and they go, oh, man, that stinks. I'm like, what? <laughs> they're like, yeah, so like, they're like, can you even like sleep with girls? And I'm like, well, I'm married, you know, so, but that's it? And I'm like, yep. And they're like, and you can't like drink or smoke weed or any of this? Like you can't go out and do whatever you want. You probably don't make any money. And I was like, and I just like started laughing because they listed all these things I couldn't do. And, uh, and I just started cracking up and they're like, why are you laughing? And I was like, I just, I've never thought of it that way. You know, like I just, I just haven't. Who, who knew what I was missing? And, uh, and, uh, <laughs> And, and I'm not saying, like, I'm some really pious guy, but, but it, was, it was funny when I was talking to them. I said, listen, I don't feel like I'm missing out on some sort of, like, wild experience. I said, I honestly find myself being more and more drawn into the wildest experience of all, into life within the love of God, Amen. into living into that. And so that's, that's my prayer for you all this morning, that, that you would recognize where God has given you influence. And that in the face of temptation, you would look to his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love for you in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for using your influence and your power, not for your own purpose, but for ours. You came down to this earth in order to go to the cross because of your unrelenting love for us, because it never stops, you never give up, you chase after us, you draw us close to you. God, I pray that for my friends here, for those that are far from you, I pray that they would be drawn near, that your spirit would be at work in their lives, that, that they would feel compelled to follow hard after you. And for those of us who've been trying to follow you for a while, Lord, I pray that we would just rest in your love. That we would know the Kesed love that God has for us. His never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Pray that for my friends, Jesus. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.